If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn with me back to that passage we read from John chapter 1. And this evening, I'd like to explore and ask you the question that Christ asked Andrew and the disciple who we believe to be John, found in verse 38. This will be our central text. What do you seek? What are the things that you are looking for in this life? Now, it's a very natural human instinct to desire happiness and contentment and fulfillment in life. But what differs, though, is the manner in which people seek to find these things. Just to list a few common examples, um, there are many people in this world who spend a great deal of their time and energy seeking to build up wealth and possessions. Others spend a lot of time focusing on perhaps finding the perfect partner and then a family to follow. Yet others look to education and knowledge to fulfill themselves. These things, they also change over time. I think we're currently told that younger people would rather have experiences than wealth and um, possessions. And then people look to things like uh, meditation, religion and politics. We're bombarded with adverts. Adverts that tell us that we need to buy this because this will change our life. Things that we never knew existed five minutes before or what will actually truly make us content. The list goes on and I'm sure you can think to yourself of some of the things that people seek to find. And the, read, the reason we had that reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 was to draw upon the experience of Solomon. Solomon, if you can remember from that reading, he looked to many things. He tried pleasure, he tried wine, work, sex, wealth, music. Chapter 1 also lists some things, we didn't really have time to read it, but he looked to human wisdom and philosophy. And, as I'm sure you all were aware from that reading, he had a conclusion, didn't he? That all these things were meaningless. They were like vanity and grasping for the wind. They did not, he concluded, and to this day, they do not alleviate a person's sense of feeling lost in this world. However, the claim of the Christian faith is this, it's that it and it alone is where you will find true contentment and true peace within your heart. And you do so by believing and trusting in the message of the man, Christ Jesus, of who John's gospel was written about. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Christ, he made this claim. He spoke these very familiar words to Doubting Thomas. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we can see that the Christian gospel is unapologetically unique and exclusive in its message. It's focused around this one who challenges us and asks each and every one of us in this room this question, what do you seek? And I'd firstly like to look at what the Bible says we should seek. That's the first thing I'd like to do with you. If you look at the beginning prologue of John's Gospel, you'll see 
that the, gospel, the apostle starts his account by summarizing the credentials and the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ has, has as part of the eternal Godhead in order that we might seek him. He lays out what power Christ has to make these claims. He says, in the beginning was the word. That is another name for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 5, we're given the cause of all of mankind's problems, why we have this urge within our lives to seek things. It says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Speaking of the darkness of sin in mankind's hearts, that sin which has separated us from God, in whom all that is pure and holy and good can be found. And so John is saying that this darkness, mankind living without Christ in their lives, There is no satisfaction for a person living in this condition. We are people who, Timothy puts it like this, we're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth in our darkness. And why is that? Well, if we turn to Genesis, we'll see at the very beginning in the creation accounts that when God made men and women, he made them perfect. They were made in God's own image and they were made to be in perfect communion and fellowship with him we have those wonderful words don't we in genesis 2 that adam walked in the garden with the lord however when we turn to genesis 3 and see of the fall of man we see that sin ruined this unique and contentment perfect contentment that man had no longer could this god of holiness and purity be in communion with those who were marred by sin all of a sudden When man fell in body, mind and soul, he was no longer content. Somebody described mankind as having a God-shaped hole in their heart. This is what happened when mankind fell into sin. And that is why John, as he starts his gospel account, describes our need to find the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light. He is what we're looking for. And he came to restore, to give life to those who believe in him, to bring them back to fulfillment in God. This has always been God's message to a fallen mankind. We've looked, haven't we, at how Adam fell when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. That message that we need to have Christ as saviour in our lives, its roots and origins can be found in Genesis 3 verse 15, when uh, when the Lord rather cursed the serpent... But there was that first initial promise, wasn't there, of a saviour who would come and restore this relationship. Um, He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There was just that first clue, wasn't there, that a man would come and that he was part of of God's will, rather. The whole of the Bible is based around the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one, as Philip said to Nathaniel just a little bit later on in John 1 verse 45, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And so if we look at the two disciples to whom our Lord addressed this question to in John chapter 1, we see that these were two men who sought to know the things of God. Andrew and John were followers or disciples of John the Baptist. And John taught this unique message. If you were here last week in the morning, you'll remember the children's memory verse, I'm sure, found in verse 29 of this chapter. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John came to point towards the Messiah, the one who could satisfy the greatest need uh, that all people have of being restored back to God. It's really interesting if you look at the life of John the Baptist to see that he was not an entertainer. He wasn't a man who was great at oratory as far as we know. Uh, He didn't entertain in the wrong sense of the word with supernatural miracles. I believe that John was one of the very few prophets actually who performed no miracles. And if you look at John's message, he never promised his followers wealth or prosperity or an easy life. I think we actually get quite a measure of what John the Baptist was like in Matthew chapter 3 verse 4 when we see that the man himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. These men were following the prophet John because they heard his words and the Holy Spirit had opened their hearts to the things of God. They had an eager and a hungerness to learn more. This was the first prophet that had come for many years. They were learning more about God's offer of salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And doesn't their response to the things of God differ so much from what other men of the time like King Herod Antipas were looking for? If you look in Luke chapter 23 and verse 8, we read of King Herod, not to be confused with the King Herod who was um, the one who ordered all the infants killed when the Lord Jesus Christ was just a child, but a descendant of his. Luke 23 verse 8, we're told that when Herod saw Jesus... He was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him. Why? Because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Herod was not a man who was looking for the Lord. Herod was a man who desired earthly thralls, if you will, entertainments, not eternal issues. Herod had heard the teachings of John the Baptist as well, like these two disciples, He'd heard the message John had personally proclaimed to him that he needed to repent of his sins and that he needed to end his wicked and perverted relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. Herod didn't want to give these things up, did he? And as I'm sure you're well aware, he executed John the Baptist, whom he'd put in jail, in order that he might keep his sinful um, desires going. By Herod's actions to John and Jesus, we could see what he was looking for in life. And it's a reminder of Christ's words, I think, that we find in Matthew 7, 16, that it's by by their deeds that you shall know these people. By their motivations, you can see what people are looking for in life. I was listening this morning with quite a trembling heart as Dad was speaking on wisdom because it slightly overlaps this point here but I should say thankfully dad didn't turn to this passage but if you look in Proverbs chapter 2 
and verse 1 to 6. We have the words of King Solomon, one of the wisest men, or the wisest man actually in the world. And these are words which he wrote to his son, Rehoboam, and probably other sons as well. And he's advising him, Rehoboam, this is what you should seek. You should be obedient to following the wisdom of God's ways. Uh, Verses chapter 2, and we just read the first six verses of this. Solomon says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Solomon had reflected upon the mistakes of his own life, and he had come to understand that the wisdom of God was beyond all things. This is what a man needs. This is what he wanted his son to know. If there was one thing he wanted his son to remember when he had gone, it's that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And you may have heard that rather ironic reply to the statement, someone says, money never brings happiness. And then the person says, well, I'd like to find that out for myself. There's that response intonates a doubt about the validity of the statement that money doesn't bring happiness. And they're saying, based on my experience of never having personally had money, I wish to find it out for myself whether it does bring happiness. They say, I don't believe you, basically. But Solomon, we do know, was a man who had tried all these things. There are accounts of how much gold and silver and Well, material he had. Uh, We know he was rich. Solomon had tried to find fulfilment in this life in relationships. I would say 700 wives and 300 concubines is trying. He tried it in entertainment, wine as we saw, philosophy and education and so on. Solomon was not a man preaching without experience of trying these things. The things that so many people are seeking today... And again, we go back to that repeated refrain, don't we? And found throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He knew that all of these things were vanity. They were completely meaningless when he compared them to the fulfillment he found in God. And isn't this what he urged for his son Rehoboam to have? And that is why you will find that the people of this world feel like they have empty lives because they're without Christ. And yet it's quite ironic, isn't it, that many people in this world believe that the Christian is actually the miserable one, the one whose life is restricted, the one who is not able to do all things, who is limited by rules and laws and prevent them from enjoying the full potential of life. These are the lies of the evil one. What we see in the gospel is that the believer is liberated from all the powers of darkness, from all the powers and bondage of sin. And so actually, the experience of the Christian on this earth is far greater than that of the unbeliever. Not only do we look forward to eternity and the joys there, but we have this added privilege in this life. The hymn writer, he expressed it like this. He said, 
Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. This is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This contentment that is found in the Lord. Again, we covered it this morning, didn't we? We're given an understanding of the seasons of heaven. Why things happen. We know that we have eternal security and peace with God. And the passing things of this world, the illnesses, the disappointments, bereavements and fear, they're seen in the context of eternity. That is why a Christian has so much more to live for in this world. They're not driven by fear, by the things that so many people worry about. And there's a Lloyd-Jones quote here. I've got another one later on. He said this. He says, The main cause of this spirit of fear that so many live in is found in self. It's self-love, self-concern, self-protection. Have you realised that the essence of this trouble is that these fearful people are really too absorbed in self? How can I do this? What if I fail? I, I. They are constantly turning to themselves or to the things of man. And this is where the message of God differs from all the things of this world, all the offers of this world. We are called to look outside the things of man, outside of ourselves, and to this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the Son of God. That's why in whatever situation the apostles found themselves, the Apostle Paul said he was determined to preach no other thing save Jesus of Nazareth. Andrew and John, we saw just at the very end in verse 42, They found the Messiah. What did they want to do? They brought their brother and their friends to him because that is where this message of liberation is found. A message that we are to preach as a church, whether in season, when people want to hear it, or out of season, before a hostile group. Men and women are exhorted by the word of God to seek Christ for themselves. But we move on to our second point and we seek, we look to understand rather what it is to seek Christ. We're urged to look for him, but how do we seek him? Now, quite obviously, the act of seeking is looking for something, isn't it? But seeking is far more than just looking. It's, it's something that you have to do carefully. It's something that is done with much effort. If you just consider with me for a moment how people go and seek out maybe some ancient gold that was sunk on a ship. I think there was a lot of times, wasn't there, when the Spanish galleons were bringing gold back from their colonies in South America towards Spain, and their ships were sunk. And you sometimes read, don't you, of people who know this treasure is somewhere on the floor in the ocean, and they go and seek it. Now, they don't just have a quick look and disappear, There's a lot of effort that goes into this seeking. They perhaps look at um, ancient manuscripts which describe the last known position of the ship. They maybe look and see what was actually on the ship to see that that treasure's there. They prepare themselves. They dedicate and spend a lot of time in order to find that treasure. And this is what a person must do when they hear the gospel message of salvation and restoration back to God. Just look at the example of the two disciples in verse 38. 
John had given them the message of who to seek. He'd pointed out the man, he'd faithfully preached the message. There was no more that John could do. He could not seek Christ for these two disciples. He could only point them to the Saviour. And they had to go and seek him for themselves. It's actually verse 37, isn't it, that says the two disciples heard him speak and then they followed Jesus. And my friends, that's the same principle for us too. In order for us to find God, we have to look carefully. We have to wholeheartedly search for the creator who made us in his image and designed us to know him. If you want to know God, you're going to have to study your Bible. You're going to have to be in prayer. You're going to have to hear and read his word. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Christ said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. For these are they which testify of me. The Lord is found in the scriptures. And the very important principle of this is explained for us by Christ in the parable of the hidden treasure. If you turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he gave this parable. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The treasure was hidden, wasn't it? It had to be sought after. It was out of plain sight. It just couldn't be stumbled upon, and it wouldn't have been found without looking. And it's the same with God. But that treasure was always there, wasn't it? And the Lord is ever-present. But unless we're looking for him we'd have never have realised that he was there, like that treasure. And so he asks us to seek for him, to look for him, and he expects us to go searching for him. And when we open our eyes, that's when we find him near us. This man, when he found the treasure, he immediately knew the value of it, and he was filled with joy. And he discovered that that treasure was worth more than anything else. The joy that it brought him was immense. And that will always be the experience of a person who finds Christ. And what did that man do? Well, he sold all that he had to buy that field. And in the same way, when we're called to seek God, we have to realise that we are to search with everything we have. We are to gladly sacrifice all that we have to secure our place with him in eternity. The disciples, Andrew and John, did this. If you look in verse 39 of John chapter 1, when Christ asks, Who, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. These two disciples wanted to know where he resided. This was their statement of intent. They had found him. They weren't going to let him go. We know they were fishermen. I'm sure they were very busy men. But they left their fish and they went to the master's house. They wanted to hear everything he had to say. This was their wholehearted commitment towards the Son of God. And this is the most important thing a person can seek for in this life. To seek first the kingdom of God. Because we're told all other things 
will be added to that. And when we find Christ, the wonder of eternal life, it exceeds any earthly value. It exceeds anything that we may sacrifice. And it is worth everything we have. Our own wishes and desires have to be given up, though. There can be nothing between us and God. There can be no compromises whatsoever. The Lord's ways will never be found in the ideas of man. Again, if I just quote from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, there are these well-known words where the Lord says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. These two disciples had to leave John the Baptist to follow Christ. Now, I'm not comparing John the Baptist to mammon. I'm just saying that the calling of Christ was above all things. And because, as the Lord says, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. When we seek him, he desires us to seek him with the whole of our hearts. And so the word of God challenges the hearts and motives of all who are here tonight. Why did you come here tonight? Was it to be amongst the people? I'm sure there were some in that crowd of disciples who followed the John the Baptist who were just there because everyone else was there. There were some maybe who came out of custom and habits or a sense of duty and responsibility to listen to this man that everyone else was listening to. There are many who come to church and sit in the services whose bodies are present, but they're not seeking Christ. Their minds are elsewhere. I mean, I've sat there and I've worried about what's about to happen in the future or what's going on in life. There are so many distractions, aren't there? But we are to come and seek God's words when we come into his presence. Seeking God is far more than church attendance. There has to be preparation and there has to be a desire on our behalves to seek the Lord. And for those who do not seek to look for God in this life, the Bible is very clear that there will never be another opportunity to find him. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 16, it's laid out very clearly for us in the story, I'm not sure it's a parable, there's a lot of discussion about that, of the rich man known as Diaves and Lazarus the beggar. Lazarus was a man who had very few earthly comforts. He sought to survive in this life, but he had also sought the Lord. He knew him as his personal God. And in verse 22 of Luke 16, we read that when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And then we read about the rich man, and he also died, as verse 22 tells us, and was buried and he'd lived a life full of earthly pleasures. He'd had everything he wanted and more. But in verse 23, we see, he, and being in torment in Hades, that is hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then this is where we learn that there are no other chances. In verse 24, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, 
Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that, they may testify, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. Them, rather. It's very solemn thoughts, isn't it, to reflect upon, that this lifetime, these three score and 20 years that we have here, or 10 and three scores, this is the only opportunity in the grand scheme of eternity, that a person has to seek God. Once we pass into that spiritual realm, there is never another chance. The teachings of the Catholic Church on purgatory and souls that will one day move from this intermediate state to heaven after a period of time are a fallacy. There is no place in the Bible um, that warrants or even gives credence to that idea. And that is why, as we look around our world at the moment, it's one of the greatest tragedies of our present age that there is an apathy and disregard from men and women towards the things of God. This is the only opportunity that people have to seek the Lord. People's minds are so gripped with the things of this world, the things they're pursuing, often entertainment and its distractions, that they never contemplate the solemnness of eternal realities. There is never another chance to flee to Christ from the wrath that our sins deserve. That's why in Hebrews 3 verse 15 we're exhorted to seek him today. It says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And lastly, just for our final point, we've seen what we should look for, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we should seek him. But what will Christ do when we seek him? And I'd like to just look at how the Lord Jesus Christ responds to all those who seek him. Verse 38 and 9 again. The Lord turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. Knowing that these two disciples came to find him, Christ turned around to them. And he asked them this question, what do you seek? The one who opens the hearts of men to his light was seeking to draw out their faith in him. It's the same principle that we find in Mark chapter 6 verse 48, where the Lord Jesus Christ looked out onto the Sea of Galilee where his disciples were rowing on a boat in a storm. And we're told he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by them by. People often misunderstand what it means for the Lord to pass by. The problem is people think that means, it means he will not stop, he will just walk by them, he will keep walking. This isn't what that expression means. For Jesus to pass by is not for him to walk past us in hiding. It's just the opposite actually. Christ made himself visible to the disciples as they struggled against the howling winds and the lashing waves. 
in order that they might call out to him in faith. He was summoning their faith in him up. And that was what Christ did here to these disciples. He turned around and made himself visible to them. The Lord Jesus Christ will never ignore the cry of the sinner who seeks them. A second Lloyd-Jones quote was this. He says, The gospel is open to all. The most respectable sinner has no more claim on it than the worst. I don't know what the sins are of all of you in this room. You may think that you are beyond saving. But the word of God promises us that if you seek, Christ says, if you seek me and find me, you will find me rather when you search for me with all your heart. Now, if what you seek in this life is riches or fame, there are no guarantees that you will find them. The city of Los Angeles, which Hollywood is part of, has been nicknamed the city of dreams. It's where people go for uh, to find fame and fortune in the movies. But actually, a lot more people call it the city of broken dreams. There are far more people there who are living in poverty and desperation with their lives and all their hopes and dreams dashed to pieces. There is no certainty in the things of this world But there is a certainty, and God promises us in his word, that if you seek Jesus, you will find him. And when you find him, he will welcome you. When the disciples asked him, where are you staying? He said, come and see. A gracious invitation. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we have another man speaking to his son. This is actually a recording of King David, the elderly man, And he'd gathered together all the important people of Israel. And here he was telling them of what was going to happen. Solomon was going to be his successor. And the Lord had chosen Solomon over him to build the temple. And having told the people of the nation this, he then turns to his son Solomon. And in verse 9, he charges his son Solomon with these words. He says, (coughs) As for you, my son Solomon, know know the God of your father, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And it is this God who searches all hearts and understands the intents of all thoughts, who is speaking to the two disciples here, And who asks all of us here tonight too, what do you seek? What are you looking for in this life? Well, may we all know Christ as our Lord and Saviour.